you still get a lot of SEO folks that are way too focused on just the tactical pieces and then they don't talk enough about marketing and content or trying to even understand the goals of the company or who the ideal client is. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing. Brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Welcome to another episode of Inbound Buzz. I'm your host, Moby Sadiq. And in today's episode, I've got another expert interview, this time with the Phil Singleton, who is a three-time best-selling Amazon author, has his own agency. Um, this guy's got kudos by everyone, from Marcus Sheridan to uh, Moz to anyone you can think of. Now, honestly, this is the episode you want to listen to If you want to know about SEO, literally everything you want to know about SEO from the role of video in SEO to the role of accelerated mobile pages to the role of social media in SEO to even what you should look for if you're hiring an SEO agency or somebody in-house, this episode has it all. This episode itself is almost an hour long and honestly, every time I interview a guest, Afterwards, I go in, I sort of cut out the points that maybe doesn't that, that don't apply to the topic, but I couldn't do it with this. There is literally nothing I could cut out. Everything in this episode is of value if you take SEO seriously. So without further ado, let's learn a thing or two from Phil Singleton. Now, where do I start? Phil Singleton is an Amazon best-selling author of three books, is a digital marketing consultant, released his own SEO plugin, and his work has been has raised reviews by Marcus Sheridan, HubSpot, Wordstream, JBear, on and on and on. Phil, we can't wait for you to rip into the world of SEO today specifically. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much, Moby. Really psyched to be here. Awesome, awesome. And uh, thanks for joining us all the way from Kansas. Is that correct? Kansas City, yeah. <laughs> Kansas. Thank you to the power of Skype. So, yeah. Okay, let's jump straight into it. Phil, I've heard you talk about SEO, right, and how it's changed in 2017. And I, I think you have a very interesting uh, view on that. I often say here, myself with clients, is SEO used to be more science and less art, and now is more of an art and less science, less backroom techie stuff. Give me your thoughts on that. Is that right? Is that wrong? Um, I'd love for you to elaborate your view on that. I think that's a very accurate view of kind of where it is today. I, although I'd probably take it a little step further and say, you know, for the first 10 years of SEO, maybe more, I mean, a lot of it was driven by those, you know, backroom tactics and maybe not even so much as techie stuff as really trying to take, you know, the shortcuts and the tricks through volume based link backlink building and maybe trying to really, you know, walk the line on, on trying to do some things on your website, um, you know, to try and maybe, you know, cheat the system more or less, mm. um, at least for the guys who are more aggressive. But certainly, I totally agree that um, up until a few years ago, you know, if you looked at like a pie chart of what, you know, what what was making, um, moving the needle in terms of the natural search engine rankings, it, w- it would have definitely been some combination of backlink building and, and on-page SEO. And now that pie chart looks a lot different. Mm, right, okay. This question possibly dives into that, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, there's a lot of, you know, on one extreme, you've got a lot of, you know, you still have the snake oil kind of SEO salesman and they hide behind the guise of acronyms and whatnot. And then you've got other people who are like, no, no, it's really great content. So my question is, can great content marketing replace SEO 
Or is the definition of SEO really great content marketing or is that too too simple? I think maybe that's a little too simple because to me what it's really kind of boiled down to is Google's in, you know, in particular because they're, you know, they're the 800-pound gorilla. I think they've just gotten really good at being able to collect a wide variety of digital marketing signals, right? Mm. So anymore, it's almost become, you know, a, so much more of a holistic approach and, and then measuring lots of different things. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we get people approach us in, in my own agency for all sorts of different like tactical things. Like they'll come and say, I've got a problem with AdWords or I want help on social media. You know, I need help on reputation management. Um, but those are just kind of those little kind of front end tactical um, pain points. What it ends up doing and what we we usually end up doing when it, and I'm sure you guys are doing the same thing. Um is you're working kind of on the marketing strategy and a more holistic plan. And if you try and kind of sync up the goals, figure out who the audience and the ideal client is, and then start to build a website and content and all this kind of stuff around it, um, then all those other little tactical things be, you, you, you tend to get better results on. So, and, and it's kind of interesting because I, I was literally on the other side of the, the fence on this where, you know, you heard Google and everybody saying content was king for a long time. But those of us who have been doing SEO for 15 years or more, we just kind of, you know, that was just kind of noise in the background. Sure, sure, sure. Content is king where we saw that lots of, you know, backlinks from different sources were actually what we're probably getting the most, you know, in terms of, of waiting. Um, but now with those, the punitive algorithms that have come out in the last uh, five years or so, uh, the, you know, they say content and king and they really, they really meant it at that point. You know? And, and I think that we, we see that in the industry, those of us who are really focused on SEO, I think have more become, inbound marketers or digital marketers because you have to do you know all these things like like the reputation management like like blogging um getting involved in social media because all those things you know if you've got a good uh web-centric kind of a platform that's what really helps you get a lot of that um organic visibility so it's really kind of a i mean you hit the nail on the head right here that's the one that your intro was probably one of the best ones i've heard in terms of you know summing it up in like two sentences which is um, there's definitely a lot more, you know, art to it and there's less, you know, getting too concerned about those techie things that are under the hood. Um, but there's still, I think SEO and I, and this is why I still like to try and frame marketing around SEO because you, you still have to know who your ideal client is and you really have to know how they're searching for your products and services and information, I think, in order to know where the finish line is. Once you kind of know where these things are, then you can build that marketing plan and tactics and, and the content that you're building around that kind of search activity. I really think that helps, and that helps you get maybe five or 10x versus you know one or 10x return on on all your marketing dollars. Yeah, sure, sure. I like that. I like that. And I mean, you you find people who just focus on you know maybe content marketing and sometimes there's only finite resources that hey that might get them a ways through particularly if their competition isn't doing anything but I like your view on you, you've actually got to integrate all those other touch points and elements and um, actually well, I was going to ask you about social but before I got uh, go into that I just had a thought the the great thing about our industry is you'll read something one week and then you'll read something completely contradictory the week after right. so, the, the one I'm talking about now is the content quality versus quantity debate now, it sounds obvious, right? But maybe for people like us who dive into this stuff, it's not so obvious. So for a long time, yeah, cool, the quality thing is working. But then you see sites who are actually churning, it's not bad content, but it's okay content, and it's just churn, 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 and it's working for them. 
So I want to get your thoughts about that, the content quality versus versus quantity debate. What are your thoughts on that? I do tend to think that if you're in a more competitive and national uh, niche, right, where the competition's uh, much higher and you're doing something maybe nationally, maybe internationally, um, focusing on long-form content, especially for some very competitive keywords, is going to get you a lot um, more return and more benefit um, on, on those types. Because you're just not going to have a chance if you're a, a, you know, in a competitive niche and you're trying to, to, to rank for, for these um, – for these types of keywords in a group when the group, when the rest of the people you're convert, uh, competing with are turning out, turning out better content and it's, you know, generating more link shares, reviews and all kinds of social signals and that kind of stuff. I think where it, where, um, it can still help folks a lot is maybe at the local and regional level, because, you know, what we see in like smaller cities or cities is the folks that are maybe, um, are blogging, you know, once a week or twice a week or three times a week and, and just have the discipline to be able to execute, you know, content marketing plan that is, it's thought out, but it's still, I don't want to call it, I think we're saying the same thing here. It's not necessarily um, total fluff, mm. and just kind of search engine stuff, but it's not the best, it's not 10x, you know, content. Yeah, it's just, this it's kind surface of stuff. level. There's no, there's no depth to it, but there, there is that surface level at least, maybe. I think that that still does work quite well for maybe, um, you know, smaller local SEO type stuff because a lot of times their competition isn't doing any of it. Mm-hmm. And if you are turning out content, I think on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, just by nature of being able to kind of plug that in and have something to feed out into your social media channels kind of gives you a little bit more um, visibility. And then if you're doing it right, because we think, you know, obviously your website should be the referral source for everything. So you shouldn't be just directly posting, you know, if you don't, if you can't to directly a social media, if you if you've got something where you could put, you know, spin it up in a post and then distribute it everywhere. So people will have to kind of come back to your site. I think that still is, I mean, we see it working all the time and it's part of kind of our local, you know, regional SEO strategy plans. Um, but for the bigger folks that, you know, really trying to rank for, for really competitive keywords, I think the bar is much higher and I would spend a lot more time, you know, trying to create authoritative longer form posts that are, you know, trying to get attention, um, in, in that particular niche than trying to churn out, weekly stuff. And of course you may have a different, I'd love to hear what your perspective on turning the interview around on you on that, but that's kind of my um, view of, of who's kind of winning with that kind of stuff and where it still might work versus because you're just not, I mean, you tell me if you think I'm wrong here, you're not going to see, you know, bigger websites with bigger you know, marketing budgets that are going to churn out a lot of fluffy, you know, stuff because they've got bigger audiences that people maybe know what they're doing a little bit more. They, they, they pay attention. There's more um, engagement on that content. So they're not just not going to get away with fluff mm. um, in those competitive niches where you're not going to see it at the local or regional level because they're not going to get that kind of engagement, but it's still going to kind of help them out, um, you know, with the visibility and the local rankings. I think the, the, the favorite part of, for me, what you said there was um, if no one else is doing anything, you know, so particularly local businesses, if, if nobody else is really doing it, um, then whatever they're doing is better than the, the nothing that is out there. But at the same time, I've also seen, and this is, this is cool because this is a good discussion, I've also seen bigger companies, or, or maybe not bigger companies, maybe sometimes like people selling digital products or uh, courses or whatever it is, have a lot of churn. A lot of ch- and look, dare I say, look, HubSpot, HubSpot does great content. They do, they do fantastic content. But they, I think they pump out something like 10 to 15 pieces of content a day. And some of it does look like the quantity type. 
Mm. So, and I, I think to myself, you know, they're a huge company. So for them, maybe they have to be seen to be putting out content. I don't know what you think about that, but sometimes like I'll go to a website and I try not to do it myself and they haven't put a post out since 2015. Right. They might be really, really good and just really, really busy, but they're just, they're not seen to be doing that content. So I think that counts for something as well. I don't know, but it's interesting. I, I, I do agree with you. I think it's if you're not actually doing anything, then anything is going to be better than nothing. But, you know, you've you got to keep your your eyes about because if, if, if they start doing the same thing as you, you've got to go deeper, right? Well, and I have noticed, and you've probably seen this too, where you see a lot of these, um, you know, news publishing sites that are out there that have kind of opened it up and kind of doing a little bit of what the HubSpot thing is, which is, and it is kind of opening it up maybe to more um, – contributors in general and accepting more contributor posts and all of a sudden that kind of opens the floodgates up so they're you know they're maybe they're the editorial review that people are letting in and i think they're trying to all work the system to some degree right they know they need to have more content on the site and the more content that gets pushed out uh, maybe they got a better chance to rank for those niche keywords or long long form keywords or or what have you and and you know to some degree they're probably they're probably leveraging the contributor because they're depending on them to go out and market their article um, to some extent but you definitely have seen a rise on that um, recently where you get you, you've seen a lot of, um, of these larger websites that have uh, opened the contributor mm. programs up a little bit. Then there's also been a few of them that have actually kind of reeled them back in, I think, to some degree, because maybe they're they're noticing some of the things I think that you're you're mentioning right now, which is, you know, is. Too, is too much turn churn too much. We don't want to just churn out for the sake of churning out. But you know, these get these guys with these bigger websites like HubSpot that have a ton of authority, right? And as soon as they roll things out, they've got a tremendous advantage in terms of how their site gets you know, crawled and and the sheer you know weight of the trust that they have on it. So it, a lower level quality piece of content might have a better chance to rank you know on their mm. site than it would anybody else's site. But are they is it, are they gaming it too hard? Or are they you know risking some kind of cannibalization? Or some kind of dilution, maybe of their own power, if they don't walk into it. And I'm not calling out like HubSpot specifically, but um, you mentioned a really good point. I think that's kind of more of a geeky SEO talk than maybe like the, the the your average business owner would care about. But it is kind of interesting to see how how people um, yeah. are leveraging that kind of content and the flow and the amounts and things like that. Well, I, I do like that because even anyone listening now, they're like, "Well, look, I'm not a huge business. I can't get away with that churn. You know, I'm going to have to." You know, see what my look. If if we're not we're not about shortcuts, but like if your audience, if your competitors aren't doing it, I think first and foremost you have to answer their questions and their pain points. And you touched, you know, sort of on personas. Um, but hey, if if that's the only thing you can do, and you can only pump out five hundred words once a week, then you know, then hey, that that that's better than nothing. Dare I say? Um, you said something before, and I'd, I'd love to kind of not 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 get controversial, but talk a little bit gray hat for a second. What is what are your thoughts on? And I'm not sure people know this, right? But recently, I realized some of the the very very big sites, and I'm not going to mention them um, specifically, but you know, sites like Huffington or Inc. or Forbes, or I'm not saying these guys, but like these sites of the nature, people can pay for links on these sites, right? Not everybody knows that. And newsflash: if you don't, uh, most people don't know this. You can pay for links on those sites. What are your thoughts on this, what I call a gray hat tactic? Is it good? Is it ethical? Give me your thoughts. That's a really um, 
tricky question. I'll make sure we're talking about the same thing. So when you say paying for links on the sites, we're mostly talking about um, through editorial links on folks that are contributors, that type of that type of link paid or uh, well, or I think paying the, directly, paying those the the publisher directly and somehow getting links on on the through adverts advertisements or good point because there, there is a, the, a distinction. There is. What I have seen in the industry, and again, I'm not going to call anybody out, but um, editors of big name sites. Right, um, right. That's a big rampant thing right now. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Off- offering to mention a topic or something and linking back, um, which, hey, look, I think if they do their due-, due diligence and they actually research the person offering the money and they say, you know what, this guy actually, you know, Moby can talk about HubSpot and, or no, well, he sucks on PPC or whatever, right, as an example. Maybe that's okay, but yeah. So that, that's a good distinction to make. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm, I do. I guess think it's okay to some degree. Um, you know, when it comes to like ethics and things like that, you do wonder if the publisher knew that the writer were getting the money that they were to make these brand messages or, or links. Would that be okay with them? And I have a sense that probably if they knew that, it wouldn't be so. Um, there's that issue, but it seems to be so, um, rampant right Mm. now that, um, it's, it's almost kind of unavoidable. Um, if you're, especially if you're a bigger company where you want to get out because we all, you know, link building is one of these things where it's, it's dangerous. You don't want to be doing any of it. I think these days for the sake of just getting a link on somewhere. Um, but they do count a lot. And especially if you can find ways um, to get editorial, you know, links from high authority sites. There's no question that this helps. Um, but it, it helps from an SEO standpoint, but it also helps just from being able to leverage the right audience. Right. So getting a mention or, or getting into one of these things where you're getting a, you know, an article or into an art, a publication that's got part of your ideal clients in there, then there's that benefit as well. So, Mm. um, to me though, I think it's really up to the the publishers to be doing that kind of policing. I don't see too much of a problem with an agency um, trying to outreach to writers to see if they're, you know, are a way to promote their client to say, Hey, could we, is it possible for us to, to get a mention or to um, that, that kind of stuff, that kind of outreach. Um, it's really more between, I think the contributor and the, and the company than it is between the, the, the business that's trying to get maybe the backlink of the mention or the agency is trying to help them out. But you do wonder if that's somehow going to be the next bubble that's going to be burst and how Google would you know, go about trying to police that uh, better than they have because it would seem to kind of be a tougher one. Because at the end of the day, the one thing I think that's changed is most of the time that you're seeing these backlinks or these mentions in these publications, I mean, they work. They're natural. The guys that are writing them are actually have – they're saying, hey, man, I want to keep my position here. So I got to make sure that it's going to – it's not you – know, it's going to a quality page. It makes sense. It adds value to the article. Um, so you're not really seeing, I don't so often, I'm sure some sneak in there that probably, you know, are, are questionable. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, it seems like the guys that are, that are going out and doing this, um, do have a much higher standard in terms of uh, making this happen. But, you know, it, some, it feels real gray hat, I guess is kind of the answer. Absolutely. Um, but you cannot not avoid, um, getting your content or your name somehow, you know, mentioned in some of these authority sites because your competitors are going to do it. And the ones that are doing that and they're doing everything else that you're doing are probably going to beat you. Yeah. Yeah. So be aware people are doing it. Yeah. I like that. I agree. Um, let me get back to my track. Otherwise, I'm just going to be having a chat with you and 
<laughs> I'm not going to get through my questions. <laughs> Sorry. It's too much get fun. No, no, this is me. I'm getting distracted by chatting with you. Um, you talk about the SEO integration side of things, right, in different mar- forms of the marketing function. Specifically on also you talk about uh, social media as well. So, you know, we know that social, of course, is a signal. But give me some of your tips on how you use social media to an SEO advantage and not just, okay, this is in the SEO bucket, this is in the social bucket. Yeah, I mean, I always kind of take it back. You know, everything that we do, any kind of engagement we start, we're going to start with, you know, trying to figure out the persona of the ideal client and how they search, right? And then then we're going to try and figure out, okay, what are the core search terms and what kind of topics and things they're searching at? And then we actually try and like bake that in to the entire website build, right? So you're basically reverse engineering the entire website and the pages and core pages um, based upon this keyword research that you do on top of that then then we figure okay let's get our social um channels integrated into the site and make sure that anything that we do moving forward from when a site is designed or redesigned we're going to use the website as um you know the referral source for pretty much everything that we can do so because in a perfect world for me every every piece of content that you would have would would be published from your website and then shared through your social media as a distribution channel. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes I see for especially small, medium-sized businesses is they take their best content and they place it in one social media place where it sits there and dies, right? Mm. And the problem with social media is, to me, is it's a place to show somebody something pretty much in real time. Because you got to kind of catch them in the flow and they see it and then it kind of flows down the stream and it's never seen again, right? But the beauty about your website and organic is that piece of content or whatever it was can live forever if somebody's searching for it. So we have to find a way to make sure that anything that we do, we we think, I mean, that's kind of my own philosophy in terms of, you know, SEO is we want to make sure that, you know, all your best content is on your website, some shape or form, and it's always going to be the referral source. Um, So that's. How, and how does it tie in? Well, okay, we, we, that's where it gets into maybe a little bit more of a churn-based um, content marketing strategy where it makes a little bit more sense to you know, publish more often and then publish directly from your, your blog or your website directly into a social media channel. So you're sharing, right? It's on your website, so you're sharing your links out there. How does this relate to SEO? Well, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got a great piece of content or a post or maybe a group of pictures, and of course you post them up on Facebook, like I said, it kind of dies there. There's no chance to link back to the website, get a remarketing tag, get a Facebook pixel, really even get a you know a sign up, um, get somebody back to the website to create what we would consider a social signal. That this is a little bit controversial because you've talked to some people. Google says no, we don't count social signals. Um, there are a couple of folks that we went out to and we wrote. John Jansen and I wrote the SEO for Growth book and. Mm. Um, they didn't necessarily like the way how we originally characterized social signals because there's a lot of us in SEO that will swear up and down that if you have a blog post or a piece of content or something on your website that gets a lot more likes, tweets, and shares and pluses than a piece of content that doesn't, that other piece of content almost always ranks better than the one that's you know doesn't get any action. So how is that being measured? Well, I think it's likely that there's some kind of direct um, correlation between Google and but but Google says no, and a lot of the guys, the the pros out there at the very top of, um, you know, the, uh, the SEO food chain and, and research and stuff say we've done research and it it doesn't work that way. There almost certainly has to be then an indirect correlation, right? Because if you share a piece of content out, especially if it comes back to your website, um, then 
then people are going to see it more. They're going to share it more and they're more likely to link to it, right? If there's more eyeballs in it. So there, there has to be some type of um, SEO, indirect SEO benefit from sharing your website contact in particular on your social media channel. So I think that's the one thing that we like to impress when folks ask us, well, what, how do, how is social count? What, what are the social signals? And, and that's really what it boils down to is you have to treat your website as the referral source for all your content and don't think that you can just directly like fill your social media channels on their own without having some digital trail back to your site. If you don't, then again, it's one of those one X, two X versus five X, 10 X. And, and that's really where I think the heart of trying to integrate, you know, your social with your, with your, with your website is to not forget about your website when you're, you know, when you're, um, when you're active in your social media channels. Yeah, cool. I like that. I like that. And Hey, if you want to take it to the next pro level, then maybe have a, you know, like a Facebook live version of your blog or something that's the same substance, but a different format for social. But, um, yeah, at least start with a distribution reference point being your website. Um, next one, video. What is video's role in SEO in 2017? Um, well, there's that's really interesting question. So I, there just came in. I don't know if you follow um, one of my favorite uh, websites to follow in the SEO space is uh, Search Engine Roundtable, right? Because that's one where they the guy Barry Schwartz, Schwartz basically follows all the daily SEO you know chatter from around the web and. Of course, we think we can really see things that are happening on a daily basis better from other folks in the industry than we ever would from Google because they rarely, you know, disclose what they're doing. And sometimes there's, you know, smoke and mirrors in terms of the information that they're going to release. Um, but um, oh, I lost kind of lost my train of thought there. But um, the video side, well, you're saying. On the video, right, on the video. So on the video, the, like, the reason I was mentioning uh, Search Engine Roundtable there is because one of the spokesmen from um, from Google just came out the other day, and we I saw this on Search Engine Roundtable, where he said, hey, embedding video or having video on your website is not in kind of an on-page SEO signal. Now, there are a lot of us that think, hey, when you when you make a blog post and it's you know of a certain length, um, and it has the right, you know, structure in terms of the, the tags and has, um, you know, your bullets and your numbers and all these kind of things that make it more readable and rich with, and include rich media, you're going to have, um, more of kind of an on-page SEO score, right? And for a long time, and I still think to this day, people think that if you add video onto a web page, um, it's going to help you in some shape or form in terms of the way maybe some, uh, Google the Google crawler would come and the algorithm would grade the page of the website. So I think that still may be true. Again, I don't know if it's direct or indirect, but certainly having a video on a, in, within a blog or a web page where somebody stops, plays it and listen to listen, uh, watches it is going to stay on that page longer. Um, and it's going to increase the quote unquote dwell time, which has been a pretty hot topic the last 12 to 24 months, which is people that stay longer on a blog page is a signal the longer people stay, um, the higher Google, you know, would rank it. So again, this is one of those things where Google doesn't say that that's an actual ranking figure, but lots of people in the industry say dwell time, there seems to be a direct correlation between dwell time um, and organic ranking. So to that extent, having video on your website, I think would help a lot. Where I see it help the most though, is kind of in the whole Again, that holistic package where you're using video, video testimonials, um, really using it in a way that increases 
the uh, the trust factor on your website. Mm. Uh, is that an SEO thing or is that more kind of an on-page conversion or just kind of more of a branding type thing? But certainly it seems to be, and it certainly seems to be a really um, heavily weighted uh, factor or at least a important factor in terms of conversion rate optimization, right? Because every time that we've tested and seen that we've got the right video on a web page or particularly a homepage, when it's got the right content, seems to convert a lot more or a lot better um, than um, than ones that don't. So, yeah. So in, long, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So, so I guess the the key point is, it, how does it come in? How does it play? I think it's really important. Every new website that we design, we always kind of in the layout include some type of a, a video in there. To the extent that we do new blog posts, or it's part of our you know content marketing plan for folks. Um, we do like to try and get them to to create videos um, and add them on their pages, include them in blog posts um, when it makes sense, because we think that it again keeps people on the site longer. And we do think it also helps with the organic rankings to some degree. And hey, you touched on it as well, like conversion rate optimization, you know, aka CRO. I mean, that like, you know, we've got to make money too at the end of the day. So if SEO right. is bringing the horses to the water, then I know it's an oversimplification, but maybe CRO is making them drink when they get there. So that, that's got to count for something if, if video is only indirectly helping your SEO. So, yeah, absolutely. big time. Um, so the schema.org thing is interesting, and I find with non-techies, uh, it's one of those things that's confused people because there's so much schema, right? There, you go on the website schema.org. There's oh, there's probably hundreds there, hundreds of different types, and there's there's so um, you know uh, maybe in your answer you can explain first what schema.org is and what the manifestation of Google uh, in Google what that looks like. Um, but my question specifically is. Are some better than others? Should you just try to go get every schema tag on earth? How do you approach schema? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it's one of those things that's come out there. And really, I think there's a lot of confusion as to like what it is. Uh, and to me, I look at it as just kind of almost an extension of the other ways that we tag you know, data on a website. So when I explain it to clients, it's kind of like, well, some people that have any amount of experience with um with Yoast SEO, for example, and they generally will get a, an understanding of what a page title is in a meta description. And and to me, like, you know, structured data um, and the schema that's used to implement it is really just a way to kind of tag the rest of the data that's on that's on a, that's on a web page. Right. So if there's a review on a web page, for example, um, somebody saying a quote or something that's um, would, would count as a, a review of a product or service, Google's not going to go crawl the page and say, that looks like a review. You know, I'm going to actually show that up in the search result because it looks like a review. Mm. They need to actually have a tag there that says that gives them the confidence that that piece of content is actually a review and follows kind of a standard in terms of how it's laid out. And if they see that and it's tagged correctly and they trust it because they trust the rest of your site, then you might have, um, you know, a review or a star rating or an event time or whatever else show up in um, up in a search a Google search page listing in addition to the basic you know page title and meta description that you would see on on a standard listing so that's kind of what my how I explain it um, what do you do in terms of gosh there's it's such a huge you know wide open place like you're saying it's gets it's really confusing so what we do is i just really in my case since we deal with small small medium-sized businesses more um we focus just on the key areas which is uh let's focus you know on the home page and making sure make sure that we've got kind of the organization 
and the location tags pinned down. And since blogging and content marketing is such a big piece of how our approach to SEO is, we spend more time kind of on the pages and maybe the blog pages to make sure that those have um, as much uh, the schema markup as we can um, so that they may have a better chance to show up and, and that additional information may have a better chance to show up in the search engine. Um, products, again, on, on e-commerce sites, I mean, it's going to be a really critical one also to make sure that those product tags are. But, I mean, you can take schema pretty much as, as far as you want it. But your question really is how 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 how, how deep should we get into it? Um, and I think you should really only get as deep as you need to be. So if you see a blog post on a page, then you know, I think it should be tagged as a blog. And if there's a video on it, then I think you should include the video scheme and the major pieces of content that are on there. I think that if you can do that, then then you want to tag those accordingly because anything that the end goal is two is two things. I think one is three, really. Google said one last year. They said at some point uh, schema you know, structured data and, and schema markup may became a, become a ranking factor. And who knows? Maybe, maybe it, it, it already is. I think maybe to some degree it probably is because the more on-page structure you have where it's, it's tagged correctly, it has to be some kind of an on-page um, signal or you think in common sense would, would say it is. Secondly is you get a better chance to show more search engine bling, right? If you've got a star or a person's name or an event or you know some other information, um, it's going to stand out a lot more than a normal search result. Mm. Secondly, you know, a lot of people are talking more about voice search and having voice search and how you're going to get, well, how is Google going to be able to distinguish um, certain types of content, right? If you, if, if, and the more that your, your um, data is tagged correctly from top to bottom, I think you could potentially have a better chance to show up in those um, in voice search. Yes, absolutely. I like that. Anything, it's just future-proofing, I guess, for the inevitable. Um, very, very quickly there, you mentioned the tip around uh, putting schema on blog posts. What, what does that do? Does that tell Google that, that this is a blog versus something else? How do you think that helps, just quickly? I just think and when you come in and you, you name it, you can, you can tag the post. Um, one, I think that... Um, being able to communicate that and having that extra layer of of um, coding is a on-page trust factor one. I also think, and I seem to have seen in some cases that if you've got a um, if you've got a blog post that's structured properly um, with the blog po- post schema, that it seems like some of those posts have a better chance to show up uh, in a knowledge box. Mm. versus versus ones that aren't. So that's the primary reason I use it because if we do longer form ones and we st- we tag those blog posts um, correctly and you know put the basically all the schema markup for a blog post, it's there's I think there's like ten or you know, five or ten fields for it. Um, the the ones that have the detailed schema listed seem to have a little bit better chance to get listed in a knowledge box for a search than those that don't. Awesome, awesome. I'll, um, by the way, I will link uh, the SEO for Growth book, um, everything you've mentioned, and possibly some examples of um, the blog schema in the show notes, which will be at redpandas.com.au forward slash awesome. EP66. So I might get you to check those schemas before I put them up, but, um, but yeah, that's where you can find them. Um, AMP, what is your, have you had any results? Firstly, what is AMP? And have you had any preliminary results with it? You know, versus before and after implementing AMP. Wow, accelerated mobile pages. What we're talking yes, about, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
that, like with anything else, um, I was really interested in kind of jumping into that. Uh, and I, I belong, take a step back here. I belong to, um, I'm a certified duct tape marketing consultant. So I don't know if you know, or John Jantz, but he's the guy that wrote, wrote the book with, and he's got a network of about 120 uh, marketing consultants around the world. So we take his course and we get trained on it, all this kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of us are this, you know, we've got agencies and we've got whatever it is, a handful of clients, 50, a hundred clients, but we've all got kind of our own, uh, a network of, uh, of folks and we all kind of have our own clients. So we get to see things, how people are, are how folks are implementing, you know, different things earlier than later. And we talk about things. And recently we've been talking about AMP and, um, the conclusion that my fellow marketers have come up with is it's, it's kind of how, what, what I've been really doing on my own, which is almost kind of a wait and see type of a thing. Um, and there's been some confusion in, in how people implement it, when to implement it, what to implement it with. And it really almost seems today to be more of a um, almost kind of a bigger website issue. Guys that are churning out lots of big content, really more concerned about speed and, and being able to consume, uh, get feed content out there and be able to consume it quickly on mobile devices and that kind of thing. Not so much a small business um, issue. Mm. Um, but the approach that we, we have is really the same way we approached SSL, which is kind of wait and see. Um, so we waited on that. I think that was like two years ago. I think we waited like a year to start implementing that kind of almost as a standard on all the new websites that we've done. In fact, I think even on one of my main websites, we haven't we haven't even done it yet because we were waiting for the re the relaunch of it. But AMP is the kind of the same thing. We, I was almost ready to start jumping into it and using it, but I, we, I for at this point we're still kind of in that wait and see mode. Uh, interested to know what your take is on it if you've implemented it in on your sites or client sites. But we we right now we don't you yeah. Know, as a, Mm. I haven't well, done it. For me, I was I was curious because my my very very limited view on it is, and this was just a hunch or a feel. It, it's kind of like a wait and see approach. But you know, I've heard from you know some people in the industry say, oh, yep, you should just put it on everything, to the point where I was I was chatting to somebody and we work with a big retailer. They have it's a big Magento e-commerce website, a lot of products, and they're like, oh, you should put it on every page. And I'm like, should you? You know, because my view was. That at the moment, and I, I think you, you said this, correct me if you didn't, um, uh, something about consuming content quickly. So I feel right. like it is it is advantageous for maybe the blog part of your website, maybe for publishers. And I, I believe in some way all good marketers should be some form of publishers. So read into that what you will. Um, but it, is, is it for Forbes and Inc. because they're so content heavy? I, I, I don't really know. But my view at this point is... Um, Hey, maybe it's something for content and blogs. I don't know, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where we are. I mean, at first I was like, "Geez, are we going to have to do this for everything really quickly?" And then it's if you if you look around, there's there are people that um, there's nightmare stories about how it's implemented, um, and it's just really at this point, if you were to ask me today, I would say, "Hey, this really seems to be would be more of a big big company, big publishing platform um, issue to deal with." But it's certainly not on the high list of priorities for you know, business, small business websites for, for yeah. us right now. As, as a takeaway, and, and would you agree for, for people listening, maybe it's something where if you do have a blog, we are a bit of a mini publisher. Maybe you're publishing, I don't know, three times a week. And I say that because I've got some clients who I push to, to post 
three times a week, the ones we're not doing content for. So if they can do three times a week, I'm happy. Right. But right. For, for, for clients who or, or businesses running content maybe three or four times a week, maybe it's something they can test with their blog. Would you agree as a, as yes. a first uh, yeah, dip in the, the water? Okay, cool. And that's only if they had all the other fundamental things in you know, place, which which is I guess what we're assuming. But True, it would probably be kind of at the right at the at the end of the list of things. But sure, yeah. Yeah, true. You got a fast site. You you've done all the things. You've checked all the boxes, and you're looking for other things to do. Sure. Um, just a couple more questions, if if you don't mind, Phil. This is around like SEO. It's kind of looping back to one of the very first questions I asked you. If you're looking to hire an SEO person in-house, uh, and I'll ask, I'll ask about agencies later, or you're, you want to be an SEO expert, what skills do you need to have in 2017? I think, um, like I, I mentioned this duct tape marketing thing that I'm in because I think it really speaks to where SEO is today. So the first 10 years, say, of my career, I was so focused that so much had like the tactical, kind of the technical SEO blinders on, which I, and I really wasn't paying attention to the rest of the, I guess you would say digital marketing kind of atmosphere, but it's really digital marketing. It's almost just marketing now. Mm. Um, but I think the best skill for somebody that wants to get into this is to really um, know how you know how marketing kind of works in general just more market a marketing skill because i think that's what kind of seo has become is it's like i don't look as ranking so much everybody looks at seo rankings like for the ranking right meaning okay i rank high somebody's going to click on my website if i got the cro stuff set up i'm going to get the phone call or the email or i'm going to get these guys into my funnel yes of course that's like what the kind of what most people focus on but really i think the rankings have become a critical marketing kpi because Google's coming out and they're measuring all these other pieces that are, are what's actually making the, you know, the, 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 um, the site and its pages and its content come up in the rankings in the first place. So if you're going to if you what would you be looking for? The last thing I would look for in somebody and I see this all the time is you still get a lot of SEO folks that are way too focused on just the tactical pieces. And they're, they don't talk enough about marketing and content or trying to even understand the goals of the company or who the ideal client is. I see this all the time when people, it's, it's still one of these like the tactical pain point issue where you've got this, and this doesn't matter what it is. If it's, it doesn't matter if it's a social media person or an AdWords person or a technical SEO person. I think really for those guys to, um, for all of us to be able to do our jobs the best that we can. We have to understand the broader marketing picture and really get our heads around the business more than just focus on this on this piece, right? So that would be my short, the short answer to that is I think to really be good at SEO these days, you have to know more about marketing. That's really why I became a duct tape marketing consultant is because I wanted to get myself, my head around the broader picture of how marketing works in general and not and get myself out of that little technical SEO box because mm. That's what that's what Google's focusing on now. So that's really what I think what people should be looking for. They shouldn't just look be looking. Do you know where the the meta tag is and this description and alt tag and you know what AMP is and schema is? That's great because that's part of it. But you could do that stuff all day long. And if you don't have you know if you don't know how you know marketing, reputation management, social media, AdWords, all this kind of stuff works into that whole picture, then you're never gonna get the results from that the guy that's just applying the, the technical piece. Yeah, you'll be chasing your tail for years. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, 
the strat being a marketer and understanding strategy over tactics. Oh man, I mean, we could we could have a whole episode. Go on, a whole other seriously, thing, right? whole other thing. And I'll link to duct tape marketing as well, so people can unpack that in their own time. Um, on the on the other side, you know, and, and again, uh, thank you for being so generous with your time. Just quickly. How do you test the quality of an SEO agency? How do you uh, maybe maybe what do you ask a good quality SEO agency, and then what separates the cowboys from the stars? You think? I think again, it's going to come back to their really what their approach is and how they're what questions they're asking. Because I think if you go and this is almost kind of parallels the the answer that I just gave in this last one, which is what you know what what questions. What are they? I mean, what what's the what are they talking about? Are they talking about marketing in general, or are they just going to zero in on 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 backlinks and traffic? Because I think if you're going to talk to an agency and get help from them, if they're just if the conversation and the question you ask are just really just on that one little sliver of kind of what I would consider the old SEO, you're probably not going to be getting um, the results. So if I was going to go out and test an, an SEO agency out, I would you know I'd go out. And ask them, what things are you going to need from me or from our company to be able to succeed? And then the answer, I think, there should be, well, we need to understand what your business is, you know, what your goals are. I think one of the questions that people don't ask a lot is they just they they take they take the clients. Um, if somebody asks them, what do you do in your business? And they say, well, eighty percent of it comes from this, and twenty percent comes from this. Well, a, a typical SEO person would go after that and maybe prioritize it accordingly. But unless you ask deeper questions, like, well, maybe that twenty percent of the business is the most profitable one, right? Well, that's maybe where some of the SEO and the content should be, not on the lower margin, eighty percent, right? So, the the agency that you're working with should really be trying to get your head around your business, how it works, um, where, where you want it to grow, where your profit margins are, and really trying to get around your head, their head around your total marketing plan and seeing how they can kind of bake that in to the whole strategy versus maybe just saying, here's our package. Here's how many links we're going to build for you. Here's how many blog posts we're going to churn out. Um, and just focus on kind of how much, how many hours or how much work you're going to get for the budget type of a thing. Mm. I think that's really what separates kind of the and, – and really, at the end of the day, we talk about snake oil and people feeling burned. I mean, that's really what happens, right? You get small business owners go out there and just kind of price shop SEO and, and are just trying to compare numbers to numbers in terms of what I get for the money. And they're not really seeing the big picture of, you know, somebody's got to work this into everything to be able to make it all work type of a deal. So um, I, I think the, your, if you get back to your, your question is I think you should be paying attention – to or ask the, the agency what kind of information and involvement they would need from the company. Um, and they should be talking about, you know, marketing strategy and asking you, you know, what things you're doing, how, how much willing you're going to be to participate, you know, in the plan and um, those types of things versus just zeroing in on a couple. Because, you know, when you go in and talk to, a, to um, any SEO agency out there that's kind of doing it the old school way. A lot of what the, the tactic there is to just start like barraging the clients with all sorts of technical stuff until they their eyes start to water and drool starts to come out of their mouth and they say, okay, 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 well, you know, do a type of a deal. But the reality of what works for SEO these days is like I said, you know, is what we know, getting the website set up right, you know, getting the content set up right, establishing yourself as an authority, building, you know, trust into your website, all these things that really most clients can get their head around. 
Um, and again, not focusing on just those highly technical pieces. So those are the things I'd focus on, on if you're going to try and figure out who, you know, which ones are the cowboys and which ones are likely to kind of maybe, you know, run off with your money or not get, not get um, results for you versus the guys that are really going to kind of look after your business and do it the right way um, would kind of be those, those upper level questions. Yeah, yeah. If I ever speak to someone who's, who's, who's said to me, oh, I've just spoken to a bunch of people, I'm really confused, and, and I say, look, it, it actually shouldn't be confusing. If you're getting, it is actually pretty simple. It goes back to the strategy side that you just so, you so eloquently articulated there. You know, if you can explain that and how you bake that into your company and your prospects, it's not about the stuff that, you know, is it, actually SEO today, it, it isn't complicated in my view. It really isn't. It should be able to be communicated simply. So that that's often a giveaway as well. I mean, so many people are just they're just wanting to write checks away for the tactical pain points, and it doesn't matter to me if it's an SEO agency or any kind of agency that's really trying to maybe come across as one of the, as, with some tactical expertise. Um, if a professional digital marketer is not bringing it back to the strategy, then they're probably going to be missing missing the boat on the tactical execution. That's really kind of the key point to all this. Yeah, awesome. Phil, final question. And again, um, thank you so much for being so patient with my barrage of questions and slight digressions. So it's been a lot of fun. Love it. A lot of value out of this. My, my final question is for you on the personal side. How do you, obviously you've worked with, you know, so many big sort of thought leaders. You just go on your website, you check out the book, seogrowth.com. People can see all the things that you've actually done. How do you stay ahead? Like this, you know, you're busy, you're doing your own stuff as well, but you have to stay ahead. How do you do it personally? I think part of it is just making sure that, um, at least in my business, excuse me, I've got such a, um, a hand into my own client accounts and meaning I'm actually rolling up the sleeves and, you know, helping out with the strategy and maybe even doing a little bit of execution. So always having that touch, I think to the, um, to what's going on on the street, I think helps a lot versus I think sometimes when people get more and more clients and they get a little bit bigger, they tend to kind of get away from what's actually happening with their clients and then maybe can lose a little bit of touch on what things are actually working is one thing. And, I just really trying to read. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned search engine roundtable. I mean, being able to have a place out there that collects chatter and being able to kind of see the right kinds of engagement in whatever, you know, in my case, I'm, I still really zero in on, on SEO a lot because I think it, even though it, you know, having people still kind of put it out as one of these kind of technical things, it's again, it, it really is, I think, an, a bellwether for digital marketing in general. So being able to kind of, you know, follow that group and still see what people are, are saying in terms of the changes they see on a day to day basis, I think really, um, really is telling. And I mean, I like to tell people uh, uh, you have to look at what the, the, the environment that we're in today, the two most valuable companies in the world. I'm pretty sure it's as of today. It's been off and on this whole last year or two, but it's it's Google and Apple, right? It's like a $750 billion company versus a $600 billion company. In some months, it's been Google's been number one, and some months, Apple. And, you know, Apple represents the way that we consume content on the physical devices, right? And Google's the one almost kind of monopoly, is how we were able to get 
and no content out there. So being able to follow these companies and in particularly Google in general, I think is a great way when, when you follow what they're doing and the moves that they're making, um, then it, I think it gives you a pretty good window into what things and what things are important, what things are working in terms of marketing in general. So that's kind of how I try and stay ahead of it. I think Google gives us a good window into, you know, technology and marketing things. And that's kind of because I, I just saw you've probably seen this, too. But you've seen that they had the MarTech conference and they've got that MarTech has this giant infographic that gets bigger and bigger every year. And I think the, the picture they have now is like 40 percent bigger than they have last year. So they pile all these logos onto this one infographic and they're just like thousands. Mm-hmm. It's a collage. You know what I mean? I didn't even look how at can you possibly so over that, that <laughs> infographic? It gives you a headache. <laughs> So this is how do you follow which ones are work and which ones? It's just impossible. Mm. It's impossible to do. So so the way I do it is I really just try and stay kind of focus on Google and I try and see what algorithm and try and focus on what algorithm, what changes and what things they're going after because they're looking at so many different pieces right now. Um, I focus on Google and I focus on one or two industry websites and that's the only way that I can make sense of that. You know, that giant infographic with thousands and thousands of tools that are you know, supposed to kind of help us all, you know, churn out a return on investment. Cool. Fantastic. I love it. I'll link to everything you mentioned, everything I can possibly link to. Um, and where can people find you, Phil, and what you do? We've got um, – it's interesting in terms of an inbound strategy. I used to have one website, at least locally, where I, I had just Kansas City web design. That was the one that I could rank locally for SEO and, and – um, and the web design stuff. And then, then it's gotten more and more competitive to rank for web design and SEO. So we've got a web design website called Kansas City Web Design. We focus on the web design stuff. We've got one called Kansas City SEO where it's more internet marketing and SEO. Um, those are the two places where we actually kind of do the day-to-day stuff for folks here kind of locally in Kansas City, you know, and in the region. But um, the one I've been spending more time on recently, of course, is on SEO for growth. And that's where John and I um, wrote the book and where we published it. It's also kind of where we're starting to do a little bit more in terms of um, coursework. And um, we've actually got another little program where we're starting to uh, set up these uh, licensee agency partnerships around the U.S. We signed up one in, in Atlanta and, and St. Louis um, where we basically, you know, if you were to search like St. Louis SEO, you'd see St. Louis dot SEO for growth. And that's the, a little child site that we have to set up to help um, our licensee there generate you know, SEO leads. So we've got this based on the book. We've got this little platform. We developed the course, a kind of a lead generation platform for people that are trying to get into um, an SEO business in their metropolitan area. So that's where you know that's where kind of the bulk of the efforts been. If people want to find me now, it's most of most of the content marketing and and um, promotional stuff that we're doing is tied to SEOforgrowth.com. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I was looking at that earlier. I've got it up now awesome site it's got the book there and everything so Phil thank you so much for your time once again sorry for going a little bit over um, and man keep doing what you're doing it's awesome to watch thank you so much Moby thanks really appreciate this thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz learn anything return the favor by spreading the word want to make your mark in digital need help with your digital strategy inbound and marketing automation efforts then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit